Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. All right, all you modern lovers, this is February. It's Love Month as well as Black History Month, and we are celebrating Love Month because, guess what, this is Modern Love Radio. And tonight we have the third installment of our series, Jump Start Your Heart. Our guest tonight says that true love emerges from a grateful heart, and a grateful heart starts with being mindful, or you might say paying attention. In her book, Finding the Gift, Angela Howell has captured 366, that's 365 plus one, unique meditations to help you see life from a greater perspective. So you really get the lesson and apply new insights to your life. And as we embrace mindful living, we all know it changes and improves how we show up in the world. In fact, we might end up creating a world that's a better place for everyone. And this is never more true than in your love life, because a mindful person makes a better partner. So Angela is one of our favorite returning guests here at Modern Love Radio, and she's been on the road to personal freedom for a long, long time. She's going to tell you her story of struggling with anorexia, bulimia, and going on to become a top salesperson, winning top recognition and awards with several Fortune 500 companies. And now, everyone, welcome to the show, Angela Howell. Hello, Angela. Hi, Dr. Wade. I am so excited to speak with you again. It's always oh. fun and a pleasure to be asked. Yeah, it's great to have you back, Angela, and you have so much to share that is truly inspiring. That's why we asked you back, especially now at Love Month. We all know that love doesn't just take place on a physical or sexual or sensual level or even just on an emotional level or even with the mind. Love is this very ephemeral thing that we call spirit. So it's body, emotions, mind, and spirit. And when you talk about mindfulness, it doesn't matter what faith you belong to or subscribe to or no faith at all. You can use your mind to become a source of inspiration. So as we're talking with Angela tonight, I want you to really take in that there is a huge body of research showing that having mindfulness practices makes your health better. It certainly improves your success. And we're going to talk about your love life tonight and how it can improve your love life. So, Angela, first tell us how you got on the road to healing yourself and how mindfulness may have played a part. 
Well, like you said, I've been on this journey for a very, very long time, and we could go on and on and longer than the length of this call, so I'll try to do a good summary. Um, Like many people, I had my share of challenges and uh, dysfunctional situations growing up, and my way of coping was to develop anorexia and bulimia. And by 17, I ended up in my first treatment center, and it was my first exposure to, I guess, what I would call the seeking world, you know, seeking to be a better place, and also the the analysis world, you know, how did I get where I get, why am I the way that I am? And just from that early age, I have always sought to understand how we function, how I function, how I show up in the world. Now, what did you and learn when you went to that first treatment center? What was the big aha moment for you? I think, you know, so I say first, um, so that means that there's going to be a few more, but it was my first exposure to, like, family of origin issues, and I may not be just completely a horrible, rotten person as I thought of myself at the time, um, there may have been uh, certain dynamics in play that helped shape my beliefs, my behaviors. So it, it was almost like getting, seeing pieces of the puzzle that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, and this is important because, you know, in, in several of the books that I've written about love, I always say if you're in bed at night with your partner, it's not just the two of you in bed. You've got at least eight other people in that bedroom. You've got your parents and you've got your grandparents because whatever patterns you've got in your love life, they didn't start with you. So when you talk about family of origin, for those people who are going, oh, my God, I'm not going to blame my parents, this has nothing to do with blame. This is all about learning. And you guys know that I am the geeky scientist, started out in brain research, and if you understand that whatever it is we're doing is something we learned somewhere, it's going to really help you learn something new, especially to benefit your love life. So, Angela, you were able to dig into some of that family of origin work, make some discoveries about what had happened in the family that created some of the dynamics you were dealing with. And by the way, did you discover the core trauma that led to those dynamics? You know, I've been on this journey for so long. That was over 30 years ago. It's so hard to remember what pieces came when. Ah, so at what point for did me, you? Was, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think for me that was just the cracking of the surface that that there's reasons for the things that, you know, why I did the way, you know, what I did. Uh, I think it just came at different levels. I ended up in a second treatment center at 22, a third treatment center at 23, so while I'm learning about what made me who I am and how I was at that time, I was also dealing with a very dangerous eating disorder. So I was learning and uh, you know, finding the will to, to live and stop doing the behavior that I was doing. Yeah, because as eating disorders can, can take you out. And you know what, now that you say it, it was a second treatment center and get this, we were in a meditation practice. Mindfulness was not a word used. I'd have to do the math, but I would say that was early 90s. Really didn't hear too much about the word mindfulness, but we were in the middle of a guided meditation when suddenly 
a core trauma came back to my mind. I had com- I had blocked it out since I was eight years old. Did mm. not remember it at all. But by allowing my mind to go into a guided, safe place, I guess my mind decided it was ready for me to know this secret, which definitely was a driving force in a lot of my behavior. Hmm. Wow. Good for you. And everyone, just take a breath. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever struggles you may have in your love life, in whatever aspect of your life is a challenge, there are answers. So, Angela, once you started to crack the code, as I like to call it, the code to Angela and what was driving you, what came next for you in terms of discoveries? You discovered the power of mindfulness and meditation right then. You discovered that there was a secret that you needed to access. And once you got the secret out into the open, how did that change you? Well, you know how they say sometimes it gets worse before it gets better? Uh, having that information was very disturbing. Mm-hmm. And what came from that was needing to work on that information. So that was a very intense time, lots of nightmares, and uh, just it was just a lot of turmoil uh, and a lot of work going through those types of things. And, it, and that, that you know, particular issue is something that, that every now and then I cycle back to because there's another piece yet to be healed, you know, with that. So it's, uh, it's, I guess it just feels like it's something that evolves slowly. Um, and there was one other thing that you mentioned, and maybe if you'll say, make another comment, I'm going to remember the, the great thing that I got up to share. Okay. You said something about uh, cracking the code and how to do Yeah, and being you. able to access, because, you know, it's a fact that we all have invisible wounds. And it's PTS, or as we now know in modern science, adverse childhood experiences. We talked about that last week with our guest from last week who's working in this area of how those childhood wounds affect your love life. So by the time you got through the treatment center where you discovered the core uh, issue, how old were you? The second treatment center, I was 22, I believe. Okay. Had you started having relationships by then? Was this showing up in your relationships? Oh, I think from age 13, when I first started noticing boys, I think it showed up. Of course, I didn't have any basis for why I was showing up the way I did in relationships, but it absolutely did, and probably to this day still does. I, it Even with a lot of healing, sometimes, you know, we we still are, we still have these tendencies that were shaped at such a young age. I know exactly what you mean, Angela. So one of the things that's important is that you were able to take the pain, take your own healing process, Bring that out into your life and begin to change your life. What was the first big change you made after this period of turmoil and struggling with the secret being in the open? Because, you know, we're not supposed to tell our secrets, everybody. And on the other hand, you know, I remember one of the first things 
I learned from my old friend John Bradshaw was we're only as sick as our secrets. Yes, and I heard that frequently, and that that is that was a motto to go by. So I think knowing that information about you know a big key piece of my background, and then finally getting into the third treatment center and getting finally some long-lasting recovery on my eating disorder. I, I wish I could say at that point, at 23 years old, I had it all figured out. But what I found on this journey is when you get something uh, going in the right direction, sometimes something else will pop up for me. And what came up about that time I'm graduating from college and got into work and basically developed workaholism. It's almost like I shifted from the, the medicating feelings with my eating disorder behavior to medicating with workaholism, working endlessly, seeking. Um, I couldn't get enough um, accolades. I had to win every trip. I had to be the best. Right. And you know what? In society, that is a looking good addiction. Yeah, that's I, the I addiction that everybody pats you on the back for, even yes, though it may be suffocating you emotionally and killing you. It's like, hey, good job. <laughs> right. So, Angela, I, talk to us about <laughs> this tool you came up with in your coaching program, A Life Worth Having. You have a thing you call the broken mirror. Yes. Um, so I I love A Life Worth Having, and I like to say that, Many of us don't say anything terribly original. We just gather from the wonderful minds who have gone before us. And so this coaching program came out of the 30 years that I've spent in recovery circles and sales seminars, you know, just being a sponge, as a seeker, as I said earlier. And one of the modules that I looked at is called Broken Mirror, Self-Image, True or False. And I talk about... Um, what we so I have people look at what they think about themselves, what they think others think about themselves, and then what others really think about them. So it's a three part exercise. So it's what you think about yourself, what you think others think about you, yes. and it's the truth, what others really think about you. So what do you find yes. when you ask somebody, what do you think about yourself? You know, it's really funny in doing this. I have found that this is such an individual exercise that can go so many different directions, all of which are good. It's just whatever that individual needs. I find that some people are very insightful, and they can say a lot of things that are very accurate about themselves. They can say positive things. They can say negative things. You know, whatever the chatter is going through their mind, um, there's other people that are really hearing only negative chatter and then I've even seen people write down a lot of positive attributes only to find out later when they get to the part of what they think others think about you they, then some of their negative self-beliefs start showing up in the later right. parts of the exercise it's fascinating but yeah. by, by well I know this exercise pieces, it's one of the first things I ever did when I started out in my own training plus journey of self-transformation. I was training with Dr. Virginia Satir, and she put us through a similar exercise. What do you think the other person's thinking of you? And mm -hmm. I was shocked. I was shocked because I thought, mm -hmm. oh, well, 
you know, that person probably thinks, because I was the youngest person there, and I was in the room with some heavy hitters, probably thinks I'm stupid, or I have no mm-hmm. right to be here. And then she flipped the switch on us and said, whatever you think they think of you is what you think of you. And my mouth dropped open. It was yes. the first time I came face-to-face with my low self-esteem and all the negative thoughts I had about me. Yes, because our filter was off. You you weren't admitting what you thought about yourself. This, you know, at least that's how I see it. When you get to that section, sometimes that's the really revealing one. So exactly. 100% true. Right. So once somebody gets in touch with what they think others think, which is really what they're projecting on other people, and the thoughts that they're running through their mind, because a lot of times we're not aware. I was working... Uh, this weekend doing a training on invisible wounds, unleashing the power of love and getting into these invisible wounds and how it shapes how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about life, how we feel about other people, and then above all, how we treat ourselves and others when we're in love. So how would you use the broken mirror self-image awareness in relationships, in the area of love? Well, you're you're so right because how we feel about ourselves is exactly how we show up with someone else. It's how we basically cue them to treat us. It's how we treat them. And so I, I like to take all the information and then go through and look for any kind of themes. A lot of, another thing I talk about with this is we're trying to uncover the lies that aren't true at all. And then we're trying to uncover the things that may be true that we're not willing to look at. Um, And then we're also hopefully, uh, I talk about, you know, a lot of times comparison is a dangerous game to play. But in this exercise, we give you permission to compare what someone else thinks about you. And if they have higher esteem for you than you do, then you have permission to borrow their esteem until, you know, kind of an act as if type thing. Take it Mm -hmm. till you make it. And so... Uh, I don't think anything which for is those, more... Which for those who don't know, fake it till you make it, act as if, there's hard research on it. It's a great stepping stone to changing yourself for the better. You just Absolutely. keep your brain focused on what you want, and you will get there. So, Angela, bring it home for us, because here at Modern Love, we're always looking for ways that these tools can help us in our love lives. And what you're saying is the more you know about yourself, the more you understand about yourself, how you feel about yourself and others could be a benefit. How does it benefit us in our love lives? Well, I think that some of the that confidence, humility, vulnerability are three of the sexiest qualities that anyone can bring to a relationship. Would you agree? So describe, describe them. When you say confidence, how does that look when you say confidence? Confidence to me is coupled with humility because if it weren't coupled with humility, it would be arrogance. Arrogance is thinking I'm better than everyone else. Everyone is less than me. Confidence is knowing no one is better than me, but with some humility. Um, and so to me that, that just means that I am not afraid to be who I am in a relationship 
but I'm not going to make you feel lower than me, and I'm also not going to come in groveling because that's not very attractive, right? I mean, we all want a little bit of a pursuit. I mean, I'm I'm about to celebrate 25 years of marriage, and uh, congratulations! It's, it's, <laughs> thank you, thank you. And there's there's a hiccup in there. We've talked about that on another call, but um, you know, marriage is hard work. Um, but I love that, you know, you even even 25 years down the road, it wouldn't be attractive if both of us were just our our self esteem was so far to the ground that we needed the other to build us up because I think two individuals who are whole make a relationship, but two individuals who are half don't make a whole. Mm-hmm. And so that that's to me how confidence plays a role in adding to complementing a successful, healthy, happy relationship. Yeah, and the people who think they're better than other people are actually secretly suffering from low self-esteem anyway, and they're overcompensating, right? Definitely, definitely. So in a relationship, that means you're not going to make a lot of room for your partner's needs, and that's going to make it hard to hold a relationship together. Because no one wants to stay with someone who is all about them and not the other partner. So right. you said confidence, humility, and? Vulnerability. Vulnerability. So what does that mean to you? How does vulnerability show up in a relationship? Do you have a story of a couple that you've worked with or a way that you've used it? I guess what you know, immediately is it's, Vulnerability is something that personally I will always be journeying to be more improved upon. Vulnerability is dropping that wall. And, uh, in fact, a lot of clients, when they do the broken mirror exercise, we find either they think they know they have a wall or they think others think they have a wall. And that a wall where you're not going to see all of me. And when you come into a relationship with the idea you're going to see this much, but you're not going to see the rest. There's a block already. I mean, if you imagine that's an invisible obstacle, it might as well be a physical op- obstacle because it mm-hmm. is there. And then if both parties come in with that, you've just doubled the distance between you. It may be invisible, but both of you are bringing it in there. So for me, it's just a constant uh, process of being willing to be more vulnerable. And the irony Vulnerability, I used to think, was being weak. Mm-hmm. It takes so much courage and strength to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm finding more and more. In fact, I've started to, you know how when you, you're looking for a white car, all, all you see is white cars? Right, because right. Because vulnerability is such a hot topic in my life and really in the world right now. When I see something in the movie, um, whether it's I'll, I'll notice vulnerability or I'll notice humility. I am just amazed by it. It's like, so I, I'm starting to see it more and more. And it could be a character who had the right to really blast somebody, but instead they said, you know, what, that, that really kind of hurt. And then, wow, that all the defenses just drop. The person maybe on the other end was expecting a fight. Instead, they were met with this raw, beautiful admission of hurt. How do you come back at that with anything but love? Wow. So what you're saying is that vulnerability opens the door for love. I That's believe it does. That's pretty powerful. 
That's pretty powerful. So everyone, this is a natural human inclination. We all think, gee, I was hurt before. Usually when I was little, it gets hardwired into the subconscious. I have to protect myself somehow. And often the protection is something that makes it impossible for someone else to love us or stay with us. I've worked with so many couples over the years. I know you've seen this, Angela, where one person was badly wounded as a child, one of these invisible wounds, parents were gone or a parent died or or a parent you know, was drinking or they were abusive. I lived that in my own life. And growing up feeling not worthy and putting on some kind of behavior to keep from being hurt only guarantees one thing, you're not going to get loved. So everyone be super aware. Now, Angela, let's put this together. You're saying be confident. No one's better than you. At the same time, have humility that everyone is worthy. And then you're saying the final piece of it is to come to the party with confidence, humility, and the secret weapon, vulnerability. Yeah. So you're open to being loved. Now, that translates, for those who aren't sure what vulnerability looks like, it just translates to being open about what you truly feel deep, deep down inside. I feel scared or I'm struggling with some issues or I took a workshop uh, recently from a couple who were teaching mindfulness for couples and I love to keep myself in the fire and keep growing and keep learning and have more things to share with the people in the community that I serve. And they said, we've been married almost 40 years, and we suddenly discovered that we hadn't done a good job planning for retirement. And our money situation looks pretty, pretty janky, as my kids would <laughs> say. It screwed up. And they said, we went home and did what any couple would do who are teachers of mindfulness and just found out their money was a mess. We had a big fight. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I love how you brought it back to mindfulness because we can't know what we're feeling if we don't stand still long enough or sit down or take a breather and check in with ourselves. Right. And what they ended up doing after the fight was just sitting down practicing just getting very quiet, breathing deeply with one another, connecting, and this is a a little tool I'm sharing with everyone, connecting with one another's heart and affirming, I love you, and the reason we're fighting is we feel scared. Mm -hmm. And the vulnerability is being able to say, I feel scared, not just about the money, but I feel scared because we're getting older. And I don't know what that means for us. Mm -hmm. So that's a level of vulnerability we all want to aspire to because it opens the door for more self-acceptance and more love. And we all want more love. So, Angela, what would you like to leave us with? You get the last word here. Well, Brenda, we can't leave this conversation without mentioning self-love. Because as much as I may want to love my partner, if I'm not willing to be vulnerable with myself, I cannot be vulnerable with my partner. Mm. 
So one of my lifelong journeys is also being willing to be present with myself and let myself see what I am feeling instead of doing what I learned to do. That's not important. Be quiet. Put that away. Let's go do something else. Let's get distracted. Let's get busy. Let's not think about that. And so self-love has to come first before we can show up truly ready to be loving in a relationship. And for those people who are thinking, oh, dear, I guess I can't get in a relationship because I don't have enough self-love. Let me tell you something. You can do both at the same time. You simply get vulnerable and say, I'm working on self-love while I'm learning to be with you. Yes, you can do both because I know plenty of people over the years who come to our trainings who say, well, I haven't been in a relationship in 10 years because I don't love myself. That is what we call a cop-out. So don't go there, anybody. Angela Howell. Thank you so much for being with us again. Absolutely love, love, love your teaching. Angela's book is A Life Worth Having. Her coping, excuse me, coping, that's pretty close. Her coaching program (laughs) is called A Life Worth Having, and she has lots of wisdom. You can reach her via her website, of course, which is Howell. That's H-O-W-E-L-L, AngelaHowell.com. Angela, thank you, and everybody stay tuned. Next week we have one of my favorite teachers, Terry Real, talking about what men really think about love and what he has to say will shock you. I read one of his manuscripts. Uh, the Oprah Show sent it to me a few years back, and I shared it with my husband and said, boy, this woman is really hard on men. And I said, a man wrote that book. So you're going to want to hear what Terry has to say. He's dynamic, he's funny, and a terrific person. And big, big thank you to LeGron Green, our executive producer, to our associate producer, Cliff Dunning, and to all of you modern lovers, thank you for being on the journey of love. You can check us out for modern love trainings at drbrendawade.com. Our new website is going live this week. Blessings, everyone. Good night. Good night.